Hey mama, do you want to balance maintaining your home, cooking, cleaning, all the things you have to do as a stay-at-home mum whilst being present with your family? Do you find yourself up late at night scattered thinking about all the things you didn't get done and so need to do tomorrow? Is your greatest desire for your littles to know and love Jesus? Hey, I'm Elise. When I became a mum, I felt overwhelmed and wished that I could just stay on top of everything. I wanted to be there for my family and yet all these things still had to get done. I was worried that I would spend this time too busy and miss it until I found the secret, partnering with God, even in our home life. In this podcast, you'll find tactical tips for homemaking, help for your low-tox journey, as well as biblical parenting so that you will find God's joy and experience His peace in motherhood. Welcome to Wholesome Mama. It's time to go grab your cup of tea, reheat it because you know, and let's get into today's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Wholesome Mama Show. And I have a very special guest. Jason Jimenez is here with us. And Jason, you are the first man to appear on the Wholesome Mama Show. So I'm very excited for you to bring your perspective and your wisdom. So thank you so much for being here. Well, it's an honor to be the first man on the on the podcast. So thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hopefully, I don't I don't disappoint all your faithful women listeners. <laughs> no, no. Um, and this is we're going to be talking about parenting. I'll um, introduce you properly in a moment, but we're going to be talking about parenting. So this even is probably an episode that you are going to want to listen uh, with your husband. This is not just for women. It never really is just for women, but this is um, particularly the the things and the topics that we're going to get to in this interview uh, is something that, you know, parenting is one of those things. And Jason, you could probably speak into this too, that you need to, you're a team. You need to be on the same page and be a team. So, but we'll get to all that. So Jason, you are founded Stand Strong Ministries and you're a pastor, an apologist and a speaker. But I think most importantly, you're a husband and a father to four kids. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. We have, my wife and I've been married for over 22 years and uh, happily married. And she's my best friend. And we met in Arizona when I was a young youth pastor. And uh, we have now four kids and our, we have two in college, one in high school and one in middle school. So they definitely range from 20 right now as we're recording to 12 years old. So two boys and two girls. Yeah. Wow. And you have just, you've written a few books and one that you have just released in the last two weeks is yeah. called Parenting Gen Z and well, Gen Z over here in Australia. Yeah. Gen Z. Yeah, that's right. But Gen Z <laughs> sounds so much better. So I'm just going to call it Gen Z. Yeah. And that's really what we're going to, to speak into. So do you, just to start us off, want to share what your heart and reason for writing that book was? Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, Parenting Gen Z, I've, so this is my eighth book now uh, in the span of about 10 years as I became an author. Um, and I got to say, this was definitely the most treasured because as I was telling before the show, this is something that my wife and I had prayed about for quite some time and to really help parents, not just in our demographic who are raising Gen Z. So these are these are kids about 1997, 2000 to about 2015. So anybody listening has children who are born within that age demographic, whether they're in Australia or England or America, that's a Gen Zer. These are the generation that came after the millennials. And so my ministry started in the mid-90s working with millennials and obviously closely uh, coming alongside in, in terms of discipleship with their parents. And so over time, of course, as I get married and have kids and raising Gen Z and being around a lot of Gen Zers and going around and speaking as I do to a lot of young people and parents, there was such a desire to want to not only tell their story and the struggles that they have and also understanding the heart behind why a lot of young people are leaving the Christian faith, uh, whether they become an atheist or they become you know, a more spiritual person, but they don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then on top of that, seeing how many divorces are taking place that are raising Gen Z. So it was our heart's desire to try to address this panic that a lot of parents are in these days. One thing my wife and I've always done, and we love to do this, 
and, and as kind of an extension to our ministry is to have people who are in ministry to come over and to love them and to feed them and to pray with them and to support them. And so even among those parents who are in full-time ministry, missionary work, pastoral work, counseling, they're struggling with their kids. They're also in a panic. And so that's why we, we were so blessed with my partnership with Focus on the Family. It's been around for decades. You know, they have international work all over the world. And so with a team of those type of writers, uh, with their skill set and their clinical psychology and counseling, in my background, we all wanted to, to, to do something about this. And that's where the book Parenting Gen Z and the subtitle says it all, Guiding Your Child Through a Hostile Culture. And so that's the that's the way I come about it as a as a again a parent with four Gen Zers, but with a pastoral heart, but also recognizing as an apologist somebody who knows the faith and teaches people how to be grounded and to defend their faith against the objections that people present against Christianity, and to put that into the book because so many Gen Zers, as I said a minute ago, are leaving the faith. In the states, we refer to that as deconversions. Uh, you know, where people were raised in a Christian home. Some of them would say, a lot of them say they were Christian. I don't think they were. I think a lot of them believe they thought they were, but I don't believe a lot of them were. But needless to say, they don't. They no longer believe that, so they deconverted from something they were taught by mom and dad to believe. And so that we address that as well in the book. And so it was so important to do that because this is just destroying so many families, to be honest, and it breaks my heart. And so I wanted to, to do something with focus on the family that can reach a lot of parents fast hmm. and to come alongside them and say, Hey, I know you're in a panic. Don't give up. We can do this together. And so what I do is I share a lot of my own personal struggles as a father uh, you know, in, in, in seeking the advice and guidance and counsel with my wife about how do we present that so that moms and dads who are reading it, and even like you said, reading it together, they can be encouraged and they can also be given some tools and what they can start doing, practically speaking, even today. So that was the heart behind the book. Yeah. Yeah. And we were even saying before we before we started recording, we were talking about just the current conflict going on in the world and about how this is what, and with social media and with the news, like when I was, when I was growing up, which honestly doesn't feel that long ago, I'm only 30. So it's not that long ago, really, but that social media wasn't around. You had, you only got the news on the six o'clock news at night or the newspaper. And so you had to, like, there was a delay. It's not live streaming videos. And so there's so much and it's so quickly evolving that I kind of think it wasn't that long ago when I was little, but my kids are growing up in a completely different world. So based on your observations of looking at your own experience and then experience of other, other families, you mentioned in the book that um, Gen Z is one of the most difficult because it's just so different. Can you speak into that a little bit more? You kind of touched on it, but um, how have you noticed that in your observations? Yeah. Well, what's important for people to understand that are, and again, if they're in that age demographic, raising a, a, an elementary kid or a, a tween, you know, somebody who's into middle school uh, or a, if, again, a full-blown teenager who's, who's driving now and has a job. In that demographic, no matter if they're in elementary or they're in high school, obviously hormonally, things progressively get worse over time if things are not addressed properly. But the point is, Gen Zers are emotionally unstable. That is one of the things that we've seen across the board. They're the most depressed and anxious generation. That's sad. Stop and think about that. Yeah. This generation, even though with all the gadgets and the freedoms that come, and all the wantings and desires and fast foods available, right? And cheaper quality stuff, but it's fast, whether it's clothes, you know, it's just, they're constantly around things. There's a lot of moving parts and there's, and there's not a lot of simplicity, unfortunately, because that, that's, that's something that you've seen among Gen Zers is their, their brain is so triggered and reactionary to so many things moving that they don't have time to settle. So among Gen Z, even though they're homebodies, even though they're very creative, uh, they're very diverse, not only in their 
in their thinking in terms politically, culturally, sexually. Um, you're definitely seeing more of a progressive leaning, no matter what part of the country, when you're evaluating young people, they're very progressive in their thinking. So they don't hold to traditional model, traditional to them, especially if they have a religious background, they take that as rigid, hmm. dogmatic, old fashioned, out of date, so to speak, if you will, because again, you got to tie into the, what I refer to in the book as digital obsession. So they're obsessing over gaming devices, how they communicate when they're emotionally unstable, when they're struggling or they have a hard time, the number one thing most young people do is they'll watch YouTube videos. That's the number one thing. Number two would be music. So you think about that when they, when they want to escape, what do they escape to, to their device? And so that's what we're seeing among Gen Z. Cause that's all they've ever known. Even you at 30, even when you were a kid, you didn't have an iPad that your parents gave you right for the restaurant or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's, what's really different. And then the last thing I would say too, and I have these eight characteristics that's unique to Gen Z, but one of the things when I was investigating that, another thing is that's, we have to understand is not just their progressive mentality, as I mentioned earlier, but they're also the ethnicity is very diverse. So they're the most diverse ethnically speaking and the, the nationalities are represented among this generation. And we definitely see that in the States. Uh, Gen Z is very diverse. Me being biracial, coming from a mom who was who grew up in the Midwest and a dad whose family came from Mexico, you know, I've seen a blend since day one when I when I entered this world. So I'm used to seeing diversity, and I love it. And it's a it's a total God thing, and so that's what uh, you see among Gen Zers is this diversity, but with that comes a heightened awareness of systemic racism. Um, and so that's why you see a lot of young people who who channel a response to do social justice work. Now, let me just say social justice on the face of it is not a bad thing, but there are institutions and there are certain ideologies that have hijacked social justice and cause violence or incite violence or, or always looking at people as oppressor or the oppressed. And so that can really get into the mind of a fashionable mind who comes from a broken family and they want to do good, right? All of us consciously want to do good. Well, the, the problem among Gen Zers is they don't have, as we were talking about earlier, they don't have a firm foundation. Hmm. You know, in America, over 10 million of them are raised by a single mom. 80% of that is women. Wow. And so one of the things that my wife and I in our ministry and with Focus on the Family and other outlets, we try to minister to these single moms. I have family members in my own family in the Jimenez family who are single trying to raise a lot of kids. And so our heart goes out to them to aid them and to support them. And so Gen Z has seen a lot of brokenness. So when they, when they get activated and excited about a, a movement that is trying to reduce racism, trying to do good in the world, they'll eat it up because they're very, very generous with their time. Unfortunately, they're very misguided. Mm -hmm. So that's very common among Gen Z and very unique with them. Yeah, I think that was something that became very apparent over here. And I am picking up what you're putting down without saying it, but um, how much they they want to do good and they think that this is right. But as you say, they're, they're just off course. It, it looks good. It looks shiny. It looks real. It looks like it's the good thing. But then you actually delve deeper and see that, okay, no, this something else behind this so how do we as parents I know a lot of parents who are um, that I speak to who are parenting um, Gen Z or even younger kids now because the what's the next generation what's the so it's generation alpha alpha okay so yeah, my yeah so now these yeah these are little kids preschool first grade second grade yeah so even even in first and second grade now yeah. You are, they're growing up so fast because of mm -hmm. social media, because of technology and because of the way that the world is that parents are struggling to communicate with their children. Do you have any advice or ways that parents can communicate well with their kids who are, you know, it's almost like they speak a different language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So to that point, one of the characteristics is there's, there's fluidity. Uh, now, obviously, young people, 
more like more than any previous generation believes that there is not two sexes, right? There's not two genders. So they're very fluid in what they believe about people's sexual expression or their feelings, right? And so you'll see, I don't know if you guys have it in, in um, Australia, but you know they'll come out with these unicorn pictures or the gingerbread man uh, or woman or a non-binary character. And what they show is they show three areas of the, of the human body. It's in the mind, the heart, and then the, the anatomy, right? The sexual organs. And what they're saying is like, those are three separate things, right? And so even though you have certain organs that you're born with biologically, doesn't mean that you are that sex, they'll say. Because if you feel something and your heart is bent towards that, well, that's what you're supposed to be, right? So I, I start off with that when we're talking about communication, because what we have to understand is that if if that's what young people are believing to be true, then what happens is all reality is out the door, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have a young child, then you're thinking, okay, and you're going to put them in an institution where you know that ideology is going to be taught to them. One is I encourage parents, especially the younger, if, if, if you can listen to podcasts like this and get a hold of Parenting Gen Z and get an older couple, this is what my wife and I do all the time. We love to invest. We're being poured into by older couples, uh, people our age demographic and in, in their mid-40s, and, and then invest in couples like you and your husband, younger ones. To, to That's what Titus II is. It's about mentorship and discipleship. And so if we can help younger parents not make the mistakes or have intentional, purposeful conversations, like I just was doing a parent seminar, and that really feeds into the question you would ask. And somebody afterwards says, okay, I have young children. When do I start having conversations with them about their sexual identity or about sex and that kind of thing? And it's going to deter, it's going to be based on the child. But you as a Christian parent and parents working together, and just like my wife and I said, we had two boys and two girls. When do we communicate with them and how often do we communicate with them depends on the child and my relationship with them. So when it came to sex talks, I was the first one to have those with my sons. My wife was the first one to have them with our daughters. But then we would collectively as a married couple have certain types of leveled conversations that build off of a previous one. And they're, and what I always tell parents, and I want them to hold, hold fast to this and, and be encouraged, they're, they're ever evolving. They're ongoing. You know, don't see them as a one and done, like, oh, man, I'm so glad I got rid of, you know, we've had that conversation where it's, it's over. No, that may not be the case. You'll also find that you'll have conversations that you weren't expecting because your kid wants to have those conversations. So the sooner the better, it, you know, when you cultivate that in their life, the better. The last thing I would say in response to that, and I go deeper in the book, obviously, but I want people to think of an acronym called LOVE. When you communicate with your child, you want to do four things that this acronym is built off of. Number one is look to laugh. That's what the L stands for. When you're communicating with your son or daughter, find ways to laugh with them. Laugh is a great medicine. Two, make sure you're open with them. So for example, if you see something that's disturbing or something that you don't want to jump the gun and assume that, you're, that your son was looking at porn or you know your daughter's doing something she shouldn't have done, you want to be open with them about times that you struggled, right? To the times that you had confusion. Always give our children the benefit of the doubt. Obviously, clearly when they're younger, that's, that's so, so wise. And then V, as you do start communicating, no matter the topic, because I have two chapters called Challenging Conversations in the book about this very thing. But V stands for value. You have to make sure that your son or your daughter, no matter the conversation and how you're communicating with them as you're teaching them about life, teaching them about truth, teaching them about resilience, right? You want to value them along the way. Like no matter what, like for example, if dads are listening right now. A lot of times dads who work, it can seem like their time and their attention is devoted to what they do for a living. Like they value that in their truck or their boat more than their kids. Now, obviously that's not true, but that's the perception. And so when you're communicating with your kids, make sure that you're communicating, communicating to them as you value them. That's the most important thing above the conversation, whatever the topic may be. And the last one is E is encourage. I always, no matter the conversations, like I told you, I had a conversation with my daughter about Israel, about the conflict with the Palestinians. 
And what I did even through that conversation is I encouraged her to study it, to look into it, uh, that she's bright, you know, and she's intelligent. So see what I did was as I was communicating about something she wanted to talk about, and as a dad, I wanted her to be informed about, I also make that an opportunity to laugh, be open, to value her, but then find a way as a dad, a little touch point, encourage her. So those are helpful ways for people parents specifically can use as they're communicating with their kids. Yeah. I love that so much. Love. And it's something we can easy yeah, to simple. remember. Yep. Love an easy yep. acronym. But and then let me say, let me say, I do that because you're right. People are on the go all the time. Mm -hmm. They're rushing. They're confused. They don't, they don't, they're trying to download stuff. And they're like, this stuff is so complicated. And I'm like, here's a simple family motto that people can use every day and called love. I've done it as a parent in my life and I talk about it in the book. And so, yeah, that's a very easy way for somebody to just, all right, I got it. I'm going to start doing that in my, in my family today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like that you added love, like not every conversation, even the tough conversations you can still use for the good, but I want to touch on something. I want to go back in the start of the recording. You mentioned that a lot of, a lot of kids, and it's a growing number, are abandoning their faith. What is something, is there something practical that parents can do in response to this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So number one is don't be a hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, I've worked now for 25 years working with millennial families and Gen Z families. And the number one thing, and I've done international work, is hypocrisy. I mean, that is the, because you're, you will decimate trust if you're not living out what you say you believe. So all of us have to keep that in check. And that's why it's important that I encourage people. Look, I will tell people, even as a national speaker and an author, um, I have a men's group every Thursday morning when I'm in town. It's about 10 plus guys. Um, my pastor is one of my closest friends. Um, he is my spiritual advisor. Um, they pray for me, he and his wife, with my wife when I'm on trips. Um, I have a board of godly men who God has put in my life that oversee the affairs that I that I do in terms of budget, travel, writing, projects, partnerships. And I say that because you have to make sure that all of us are being held accountable with what we're called to do. So don't do things alone. That's the key thing. So when you are struggling with anger or distance or you're a detached parent or you say you're a Christian, but you don't really make it a priority, what are you communicating to your kids? If sports or anything is a replacement, right? That's that that's a replacement of something that should be foundational in your life. Remember, faith, if you if you think of a pie and you're looking at percentages of what eats up that pie, we don't say faith is a third. We don't say faith is 50%. We are spiritual beings. Mm. We are Christians who have a resurrected, you know, life. We are we are new creation in Christ Jesus. Faith is our life. Yeah. And so faith is not a part of our life. So things in our lives center around what we as a Christian family believe. And Jesus is the head of that. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18. So one is you can't be a hypocrite. If you have I encourage parents wisely with with consulting with people people in their life as I have in my life that hold me accountable that I can confess to and and I I can ask advice you know about this or that um, if you've done if you've been a hypocrite and you've blown your witness find a way to ask for forgiveness with your kids and start anew start over that's called grace grace is something that is an unmerited something we don't deserve god's riches at christ's expense we've all blown it ask for forgiveness there's a powerful story i talk about that i encourage your listeners when they pick up the book to read when i blew it as a dad and i had to go in humility to my family and ask for forgiveness number two is we have again start young you have to teach your kids the word of god you have to teach them how to study god's word my family and i even with two in college we finished it took us two years but we did a chronological reading of the Bible. And then I just, yeah, I just did touch points with my kids. I, I bought them all their own unique chronological study Bible, the New Living Translation one, which is awesome. It's very colorful, well done. 
And my kids liked it. My 20-year-old liked it. My 12-year-old liked it, right? And so we did it as a family. Uh, we do you version plans. You know, again, we're committed in church. Third is look for ways to serve. How do you live out your faith? Like what kind of impact are you having individually and as a family? Four, and I encourage people to go to my website, standstrongministries.org. We have tons of resources, articles, videos, podcasts. I do a podcast called Challenging Conversations that reaches tons of people and training people how to defend the faith against an atheist, a Muslim, how to grow in your faith. I bring in experts that teach moms and dads, grandparents, how to share your faith, okay, um, in this kind of world that we're living in. So make sure you're equipping yourself in what we refer to as apologetics. You know, again, we're not all going to be experts. Okay. I'm, I'm dyslexic. Okay. So when I was growing up, I thought I was going to be smart enough to do all this stuff. I never thought in a million years I'd be writing books, but by God's grace and through his power, um, I'm a vessel of honor being used by God. So if I can do it, honestly, anyone can do it. To be honest, I'm not this bright, smart person. I've had to learn and learn and learn at the feet of many people. Um, so I encourage people to to find some resources that we have at standstrongministries.org to help them defend the faith. So when their kids are coming home or when their kids have a question or you as the parents say, this is a great opportunity, I'm going to start teaching my kids. Number one, how do we know we exist? Where do we come from? Who is God? And start teaching them these truths and teaching them doctrinal truths about God. That's called theology, the study of God. And you start teaching them about salvation and you start teaching about like, how do we get the Bible? How do we know the Bible's true? Because remember, that's a huge objection that young people have. Well, I'm not a Christian anymore because the Bible's filled with a bunch of errors and you guys say God is perfect and he wrote the Bible, but there's a bunch of errors in the Bible. So if there's errors in the Bible and you say God is perfect and that's a contradiction. Therefore, God doesn't exist. And boom, like how do you reason against that? So those are helpful ways for parents to do that. And the last thing I would say, if people say, well, okay, well, well, where do I even begin? Just get a sense of where your kids are at and start there. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. I want to delve in a little bit deeper to one of those. So uh, one of you said, start teaching them the word of God from a young age. And I could not agree more. But one thing that I'm finding even, so my eldest is, he's about to turn six next week, but he, we're even finding, and he's in a little Christian private school but not all the families that go there are Christian. So we're even finding that he's starting to come home. He's in kindergarten and is hearing all these things and going, mom, that, that doesn't sound right. And, and so, and this is like, this is a six, a nearly six year old. This isn't. So when he gets to, and I'm already seeing the fruit of the foundation that we've been laying so that, as you said, this Gen Z generation, they, um, believe to follow your heart, like follow your heart is on t-shirts. It's like everywhere. So my daughter brought a shirt to me the other day in the shop and said, can I have this one? Cause it's got rainbows on it. It said, follow your heart. No, we yeah. don't follow our heart because if I followed my heart, I would be in big trouble 99% yeah. of the time. Or if I like, there's all these lies that are like, live your own truth. Well, my truth can't be different to your truth. That right. is not possible. So it's, I love that you said like teaching the, and this is why. And for me, like I'm so passionate about this because I don't, I don't want my kids to follow their heart. I want my kids to know the Holy Spirit's voice and follow that because there's just so, so many beautiful lies like those that are so deceiving and, and they're taking away kids. Yeah. So to your point, Jeremiah 17 says the heart is wicked and desperately, you know, um, horrendous, really, the, the translation. Um, and so we are fallen creatures. Remember, God made it. So again, if we were to go back to like your six-year-old, and I do this in the book when it comes to sex and marriage, let's go, let's go back to the garden. Let's go back to the beginning. There, there's a group of people that are known as progressive Christians, okay? And I wrote a book, another one called Hijacking Jesus, where I expose a lot of their false teaching, which is huge among millennials and Gen Z, okay? Mm -hmm. Which is in part our ministry, Reaching Families, is a book I wrote to help 
uh, parents who have older kids who've got into this progressive Christianity to know what it is, how to respond to it graciously, winsomely, and not to be ignorant or naive. Um, but that all, all that to say is when you go back to a young person, you go to the garden, look at God's divine design. God made us perfect. Adam and Eve were in perfect harmony with one another and with their maker. And they were given work, right? They had dominion over the earth. That's a beautiful thing. And sadly, through a free, good gift, a perfect gift, which is the freedom to choose right or wrong, otherwise, if it was coerced, then that's not real love. And so foundationally, when you teach kids, God loves us where he made us free creatures to choose to love him in return. And sadly, through a free gift, we sinned, we disobeyed, and there's consequences. So when we say follow your heart, that was Adam and Eve following their heart. They were deceived and went against their maker. So our heart now in this original, from the original sin that's been transmitted to us, you're right. We can't fully recognize the deception in our own hearts. And the culture today wants to say truth is relative. There's no consequences to your actions. There is no sin. They don't use the terminology sin. They're in the world, right? They don't believe the world is fallen. They don't believe the world is depraved. They don't believe in a real enemy known as Satan who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And the difference is in John 10, 10, that Jesus came to give us life and give it to us more abundantly. So when you and I think about it, as the older we get, you realize how foolish I have been in this world and how selfish and prideful. And yet, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by the grace of God, I am who I am, right? That we don't follow our deceptive heart, our corrupt heart, but we follow the one true God. And through, as you said, the power of the Holy Spirit in our life convicts us. And guides us and restores us and teaches us. So that's the big thing is teaching your kids those truths from the beginning. And I would say the last thing is, you know what, mom and dad, as your kids, and, I, and I'm a living proof of this, with a godly wife, a Proverbs 31 wife, when you stay together and you love your spouse and you show your kids, this is true biblical marriage. Nothing can compete against that. Nothing. I'm sorry, no TikToker. No YouTube sensation, no politician, no nobody. Yeah, they could be funny and powerful and influential, but when you have a husband who loves his wife and washes her in the water of God's word, and he trains up his children the ways that they should go, and has nurtured and cared for them, and a mom who nurtures and loves her children from day one, right? That is a beautiful thing. That is God's divine design. So when that child is on the path of destruction, and you raise that child to believe in God. You can't force them. They got to make the choice on their own. But they see mom and dad loving Jesus and loving them regardless of what they choose to do. If they go in, into the LGBT community and or they're an advocate there or they believe they're trans or whatever, that parent will still love them. doesn't mean they support that lifestyle and those choices, right? Because sin has consequences. You reap what you sow, we're seeing Galatians 6, 8. But when that parent shows the unconditional love of God that we see parabolically in Luke chapter 15 with the prodigal son, that is powerful. And that's what I keep wherever I go, reminding and loving and affirming parents, don't give up. Keep mm. teaching the word of God. Keep praying. I, I would say one last thing too, because I get fired up about this. We need to pray and fast for our children. And even be specific, parents these days are realizing that they are alone and their kids are alone. And the sad reality is parents don't have a lot of community. That's a, that's a, a total breakdown that's taking place. So parents don't really have close friends. And then they see as their kids get older, those playdate things go away. The innocence goes away. And now it's, it's hard. It's hard for Tommy. It's hard for Bridget to go make friends now in, 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 in sixth grade elementary or in middle school, high school. And so what I encourage moms and dads to do is don't be the only voice of reason in your child's life. Find godly people Very that good. you trust that they can come alongside of you. So what, what, what do we do? This is what my, my wife and I do. 
And it can be hard for some people listening. But again, if you fast and pray, God will reveal to you things that you have never seen before. And you're going to start praying for your kids and their friends, right? And it will change the dynamic. My wife and I have lived it for years now. So we are a living testimony of this. You have to open your home to these families. You have to be willing to make your, your house a fun place where they not only learn about the Bible, but they can fellowship and pray together and confess their sins. And that's what I would say to encourage moms and dads to do. So if you have young kids right now, start now. Start now because as they get older, it's going to be a lot harder to try to incorporate that if you weren't putting into practice five or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's so good. I feel like people need to pause that, go back and just re-listen to that last week because there's so much truth in that. But I'd love to get um, kind of say, let's just take a situation because I feel like it's one thing to listen to this. And then it's another thing for parents to be in that moment when a child comes to them with a question or a topic or maybe um, they have found out that their child has been doing something that is uncomfortable that is not something that they support or agree with how how do we as parents practically in that moment because I think that um, you know even like the love the love acronym but in moments of big hard conversations where there could be a lot of tension where it could go really well or really bad can you can you just share your advice around what parents could do in those moments yeah absolutely and and to be honest this actually when you deal with conflict resolution for any environment business school between a teacher and a student faculty members and obviously a couple husband, wife, and then a parent and a child. Now, obviously the most scarring usually comes from a child disrespecting mom or dad. And the one thing I talk about this in my chapter under the header, a necessary evil is that Gen Zers, as they get older, just like any generation, but particularly this one, because we're talking about how they're less Christian or more progressive um, they often develop views and they adopt positions that counter it's counter to what their parents believe. Mm. So it's not uncommon. And I've, again, in my travels and speaking to a lot and didn't, I did a lot of interviews with focus on the family when I was writing this book with, with couples, it's very, very common that parents will talk about how their elementary age child vocalizes a disagreement that they have with their parents or opposing their parents in something and their parents cave, they give in uh, to the demands of the child. Matter of fact, I encourage um, your listeners, they can go to YouTube uh, on the, on the, on the focus on the family web, uh, web uh, YouTube channel. And we just came out with a two part series that I did with Jim Daly, the found, you know, the, the, the acting president at focus with John Fuller at the focus on the family broadcast. And, and I talk about this, Okay, about the conflict. And so one of the things I would tell moms and dads to do, this is so helpful. I want you guys to consider two passages of scripture. Anytime you are in a position where you have to confront something, if there's a, a opposing uh, person that is, you know, striking resistance to what you say, whether it's on a religious issue, a biblical issue. Uh, even a political issue or even something regarding school or or a friendship you have to make sure that you think of two that you come to mind you know when you when you before you jump in is Romans 12:10 is you have to honor that person and 1 Peter 2:17 that you have to show hospitality because if you don't if you don't put those verses ahead of you then again as we we're talking about our heart earlier that's deceiving us you're going to give into anger, right? You're going to get into bitterness. And the one thing I always tell parents is the moment you raise your voice in a way that is rude and immature and you begin to argue, especially with an older child, you are now lowering your standards to them. Yeah. And that's, and that's, un, and that's unfortunate. I tell a story about a father who, who, who got a divorce and 
as his daughter got older and went into college, she became way more progressive and very, very liberal in her feminism and her sexuality and sleeping around. And she would just push her dad's buttons, but she had a disrespect. She disrespected her dad because she didn't believe that her dad fought for the family, that he abandoned the family. And of course, he ran into the arms of another person. So there's a lot of bitterness there, right? So this is not just going to be one conversation that's going to be over. Mm. And that's an extreme situation. If I remember his name you know, in the, in the book is Tony. But the reality is we have to make sure that when we're engaging anyone, that we have to come with humility. And so one thing I told Tony, the father, as I'm telling your listeners, is we have to make sure that when we're thinking of Romans 12, 10 and 1 Peter 2, 17, I'm not here to argue the facts with you, okay? I'm here to reason. Isn't that what God said to Israel in, in Isaiah 1, 18? Come now, let us reason together. So you always got to make sure that we're here to reason. So I have specific guidelines for parents. And one of the things is when you're communicating with your child, you want to make sure you have a posture that is very calm. Okay. And if it's a conversation you need to have with your child, depending on the severity of it, make sure you and your spouse are in it together. If you're single or you're in a blended family and there's a step parent in that situation, then you got obviously have to be wise. And this is what I would in, invite outside support to make sure that mom and dad, stepmom, stepdad, whatever, those dynamics are, are looked at appropriately to execute certain things that are required. And so an outside support system can help you guys work through that because obviously if you're the biological parent and you're remarried, there's no doubt that your spouse, who's the step parent, is not going to have the authority. And in most cases, the biological parent doesn't want their step, that stepchild, that's, or excuse me, that step parent to have that authority either, like they do. So there, there's conflict already there. Kids pick up on this. So that's what I'm saying. You have to make sure you work those things out prior to having these issues because they are a mess. And what tends to happen is they argue, or they shut down, uh, or they just negotiate or they compromise and they give in to their kids because they don't want to argue anymore. And so the, the thing you have to do is your posture matters. Um, allow a little protest from older kids. That's okay. Let them explain themselves. This is what I always say to my kids, uh, especially the older they got. When I sit with them, I say, I've raised you to share your mind with me because I respect you as an individual. I did not raise you to be a robot. I wanted you to express yourself in your personality. You know that you're to be respectful. And I will be respectful in return. Now, thankfully, I've never had huge blowups with my kids. And I got a 20-year-old, an 18-year-old, and a 14-year-old, and a 12-year-old. But it starts with us. So, I, I mean, I can go on and on about this kind of stuff, about how to tackle these things. But the key thing is, is the way that you approach them. Allow a little protest with older kids. And the last thing I'd say this is so, so helpful is I, I let – and I tell this to parents. I let the child go first to express their heart and what they're going through. See, it's easier for us as adults that we can we can work things out and we can make modifications because of our maturity level. Kids can't. So when, when they feel that they're in a safe place where you're going to hear them, as long as they're being respectful, even if they raise their voice a little bit and they're very animated, let them, let them express themselves the way they need to express themselves emotionally and as an individual. Don't be alarmed by that, but let them... Let them express themselves, and that's your job at that time to ask key specific questions without making assumptions, without interrupting, without correcting them. Does that make sense? Mm. But obviously, if the kid is being disrespectful, then you can, you can put your hand out. You can gesture and say, Timmy, what did I say earlier? And then let him repeat like, oh, yeah, sorry. I, 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 I'm sorry I said that. So let give them that opportunity. But if they won't listen, parents have a right to get up and say, listen, I told you not to talk like that, not to be disrespectful. And so this conversation is over. I was giving you an opportunity, but don't yell. And then at that moment, the last thing I'd say is you, you cannot enforce consequences at that moment hmm. because that's being reactionary. So the, the first responsibility for a parent to do is to realize this conversation is not honorable to God. 
I'm not going to let my son or daughter continue to sin by being disrespectful to their parent, right? So I'm going to end this conversation. I gave him opportunity, okay? I extended grace, and I'm going to say this conversation is now over. So whatever you're arguing about, whatever you wanted is not going to happen. So just, just know that right away. So that's already a, a consequence. Notice that's already a consequence. Yeah. And then and finally you say, I'm going to talk to your dad or I'm going to talk to your mom or if you're, again, you're a single parent, I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to go maybe seek advice. And then I'm going to come back when you and I are both in a calmer situ, you know, calmer spirit to discuss this. And then that's when you throw it back to them, depending on the age, the older, this is more important that you do this. Is that okay with you? Like notice how you're, you're still saying, is that okay with you? And if they say, whatever, then what we, they're showing you is that they don't want to communicate with you respectfully. Mm. Right. And then that's when you instill the consequence, whatever that may be. And again, the consequence has to fit the crime. So that's what I'm saying when, when that, and that, in that moment of arguing is the last thing a parent needs to do is blow up themselves and start yelling and say, you're grounded now. Give me your phone right now. That is now becoming um, an explosive parent who is now executing authority and in, 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 in an emotive sense that could be, that could be constru uh, construed as abusive. So that's those are helpful things when it when when it comes to a parent child relationship, especially when there's conflict or they're communicating with them on something. And so obviously, like one of the big things is when a parent finds out a kid looked at porn. I mean, you know, I mean the 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 the, the last thing that that child needs is if it's a 13 year old boy, mm. is mom and dad making him feel like he's a perverted, sick, twisted kid who you know what I mean has no hope now and he just ruined his life. Um, you have to address it in a way to understand what is actually going on here, right? In his experimentation or in his lustful desires, or, you know, was he introduced to this by a friend, you know, that kind of a thing. Hmm. So again, I, there's a lot more in the book, but these are very, very important because I, I mean, have had so many of these conversations with people that they are just lost and they're hurting. Um, so, so hopefully that can help encourage some of the people listening. Yeah. I think that that is so encouraging and so helpful because for all parents of kids all ages because you can take that um and that wisdom and just apply it to wherever you're at but also to set it up so that for me when my kids are at that 16 17 18 year old stage that we already have this foundation set up of this is how we have the challenging conversations this is how we deal with disagreements Yep. And the importance of having self-control, which sometimes can be hard. And sometimes I do blow up at my kids. And as you said before, you have to then humbly come and say, I'm really sorry. That was not, that was not right. I, yeah. Um, I would just love to know as we finish up, I could keep talking for ages. I still have questions that I haven't gotten to, but um, I would love, I just want to encourage every parent to get the book is now out. I was privileged enough to get a um, digital copy of it two weeks ago that I've started going through. But now that it is out, it is one that you want to get the physical, hold it in your hand, highlight, underline, take notes put the pages on your wall to remember, put it on <laughs> yeah. your fridge. Um, yeah. But I would I would just love to know um, if you have a Bible verse or um, like a one, one line of wisdom that you have clung to in your parenting journey throughout the, the 20 years that you've been a father. Yeah. I mean, there's actually a lot, but there, mm -hmm. there's, there is one that, that tends to stand out and I'm going to actually give you two. Okay. I'm going to give a bonus one. All right. Um, the first one is Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 11. And that's actually a prayer that Paul prayed for the church of Colossae uh, in teaching and praying that they would walk worthy of the gospel and that they would bear fruit, you know, in every good work. That is a powerful prayer as a parent to say, when I wake up every day, I say, Lord, I want to walk worthy of you. I want to bear fruit and every good thing that I do, especially as a father. So that's a powerful prayer. And of course, it's a prayer my wife and I've always lifted up and prayed for our kids. And the last one is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. 
And that's that's the passage where Paul, his last letter, he's telling Timothy, the son of the faith, right? Someone who took over uh, as a pastor after he was martyred. Paul himself was martyred. So he was like a spiritual father to Timothy. And one thing he told Timothy in the ministry, he says, be a vessel of honor, be sanctified and useful for the for the master, prepared for every good work. And so that is a preparing. Every time a parent goes to bed tired, stricken with doubt, you know, struggling, you know, to find uh, peace in the home uh, mm -hmm. or a man, a man who wished that he was more of a spiritual leader um, and it wasn't taking responsibility of that, whatever the worries may be, you have to cast those cares upon the Lord and just remember that God wants to prepare you for every good work, that mm -hmm. you are his vessel. And, and what a great testimony when a, when children have their parents as vessels of honor. Yeah. That is, I'm telling you, that's the most powerful, powerful thing. And it has, I, I have been brought to tears as a grown man who now at the stage of my life, like even now, as I get off this interview, my kids are home from college right now for the weekend. You know, we have something scheduled tonight. You know, I'm taking tomorrow off. I love hearing the successes and the experiences and the friendships that my kids are having as they get older and mm -hmm. bathe in that. And I get to enjoy that because when they were younger, dad was there. Yeah. And so be that vessel of honor. And if you've messed up and you've blown it, you know what your kids want to hear from you? I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry that I wasn't there. But when you do that, make sure you follow through. Yeah. And man, children are so resilient and they're so forgiving. But again, if there's a track record, then you have to be a lot more sensitive because they have more history of letdowns. Hmm. But there's grace. And that's what parenting is all about. We are to parent in grace. We are to walk in grace. And we are to see our kids that same way as our Heavenly Father sees us. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you. I just think that is such a good encouragement to end on. So thank you, Jason, so much for coming on and sharing that with us. I know I've I've gotten a lot out of it. I know everyone else who's listening to this has is going to as well. So thank you so much. Can you just super quickly share where people can get a hold of your book, Parenting Gen Z? Well, yeah, if they, if they want it fast, go to Amazon. And, and then, you know, obviously if you guys purchase the book, make sure, you know, encourage people, leave a review, share mm -hmm. it with people out there. They can also go to standstrongministries.org and they can find out more information about the book there. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Jason. It's been an absolute honor to have you on today. Thank you. I appreciate it. God bless you. Well, that wraps up another episode and I pray that you were blessed by today's conversation and really got something out of it for you to take into your motherhood this week. If you did get something out of today's episode, please subscribe, leave a review so I know that you're loving the show. You can also come and chat on Instagram. The handle is at Wholesome Mama. And don't forget, we have a Facebook community too with mums just like you who are in the trenches of mothering littles. So come and join us over there as well. The link for everything is always in the show notes. Have a beautiful week, mum. Be blessed and I will be with you next week.